Nowhere has the disease spread more than in the Dakotas, each with more new cases per capita than anywhere else in the country, even outpacing the spring surge in New York, according to figures from the CDC. Over the last several weeks, North and South Dakota have had some of the worst spikes in COVID-19 cases the country has seen so far. The positivity rate in South Dakota is now over 50%. That's more than 10 times the rate the World Health Organization says is cause for concern, which is only 5%. White House Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator Dr. Deborah Burks recently visited North Dakota. As we were here and we were in your grocery stores and in your um, restaurants and, frankly, even in your hotels, this is the least use of masks that we have seen in retail establishments of any place we have been. U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams also visited the region earlier this week. Here he is at a newly opened testing site in Rapid City, South Dakota. Uh, You really shouldn't need a mandate to do the right thing for your community, for your family, and for your friends. As members of the federal government step in to try to combat the surges in the Dakotas, some state officials, including South Dakota Governor Kristi Noem, have made the task more difficult by opposing mask mandates or any kind of lockdown. The only reason you know who I am today is because the liberals have been busy kicking me in the head for all the decisions I've made for my people in South Dakota. My people are happy. They're happy because they're free. We are seeing the ramifications of those inactions. Make no mistake. Keep in mind, there is a lag period between the time people aggregate together without masks to the time they get diagnosed, to the time they get hospitalized. And now we are seeing higher rates of hospitalizations in this country than we have ever seen before. The numbers don't lie. South Dakota and many other areas in the country are now seeing the most serious surges of this virus that they have seen. And this is happening as the country is battling record high new daily case counts. And the number of total cases in the United States alone just passed 10 million. Today, we're going to do a deep dive and take you to the rural areas of the country. I'm going to talk to a doctor on the ground in South Dakota about how his community is hurting and what they can do right now to reduce the spread. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent, and this is Coronavirus, Fact versus Fiction. Earlier this year, many cities were hit hard with COVID-19, but other areas thought maybe they had escaped the worst of it. But now, rural areas of the country are facing extreme spikes as well. Only they are now dealing with it with fewer resources, fewer medical professionals, and sometimes more resistance to basic public health measures. It is is worrisome because we know that if for one week we think we're on top of this and the next next week it comes back with a vengeance. Dr. Tom Dean has been a family physician in the town of Wessington Springs, South Dakota, for over 40 years. He is one of three doctors in Gerald County, which has a population of about 2,000. We're in a, a small town, town's about 900. We're the big town in the area. If you're at all familiar with South Dakota, which you may not be, <laughs> we're kind of in the middle of the east half of the state. They have a small hospital in town that offers limited services. So anyone needing more critical care must be transferred elsewhere. Our nearest, really, referral center 
is in Sioux Falls, which is 125 miles away. So far, nearly 1 in 10 people in the county have been diagnosed with COVID-19. And nearly 20% of those cases were just in the last two weeks. That's according to the data from Johns Hopkins University. Dr. Dean is the town doc, and he's been there to provide care to those who've been infected. The toll for him has been deeply personal. Well, it's had a big impact on our area. My father died of COVID about two weeks ago. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to hear that, Dr. Dean. He was 100 years old. He was in the nursing home. He was obviously very elderly, but clinically stable. But the virus uh, got into the facility, and it just went rampant. And they had a tremendously difficult time with a number of deaths. And what was particularly difficult is there was a time when all their staff, not all their staff, but a very large proportion of their staff was either sick or was quarantined, which meant that you had a very limited staff trying to deal with a group of frail elderly who were sick. And this virus is just so hard to figure out because we had a small outbreak in our community in July uh, associated with a small eating establishment where they weren't very careful about uh, who was sick. And we had about a dozen uh, positive cases and actually two deaths from that. And then it disappeared and we had no positive cases for probably two months. And then uh, mid-September, all of a sudden it hit again. And after two weeks of having no positive tests in our clinic, one day we had 11 positive. And no, 11 is not a huge number, but for us it's a huge number. When you hear positivity rates that are very high, what that seems to mean is that there's a lot of people out there who have the virus that don't know it, and they can continue to spread it. How worried are you? Well, I worry, um, you know, uh, both personally and for the rest of my family and the rest of the community, because we have had a great difficulty convincing the community that this really is a serious problem and that things like masks are, are even though they're inconvenient, are, are really crucial if we're going to control this. And I have to say, we have not been very effective at communicating that, although I think it's getting better. You know, I'm curious, doctor to doctor, you know, you've been practicing there for 42 years. This is a community that knows you. Yep. So you, let's say you're at one of these school events and you see a bunch of people who are congregated without wearing masks. They see you and they know you. They know you're a doctor. What What is that like? I mean, do, do they do they put their masks on because they see Dr. Dean coming or do, do you go talk to them? Well, I think there are some that do because I... I wear a mask everywhere I go, even though at some places uh, there are no people. But I decided, you know, it's sort of my obligation to set an example. And I think that gradually that's uh, catching on. I talked to the fellow that runs our local grocery store, and he said, right now, most people that come into the store do wear a mask. But people don't like to be told they have to do something. And this area is an independent-minded population. And uh, that has allowed them to survive in some very difficult circumstances over the years. 
So they don't necessarily like being told to do something that doesn't immediately affect them. Yeah, I mean, and historically we saw that as well. If Even if you go back 100 years, 102 years to 1918, there was that, you know, significant decrease during the late summer and early fall of 1918. And I think a lot of people thought at that point that it was over. And as you, I'm sure, know, Dr. Dean, that it was that second wave that sort of started mid-end of October, not too far from the time frame now, that ended up being the most devastating wave at that point. And that's what we're trying to avoid. It looks like we may uh, duplicate that the way things are going. I've been writing a series of columns for our local newspaper and and recently what i've tried to communicate is that you know i think you, this takes a total community-wide effort to control it and i said i think we have to go clear back to world war ii when people had to put up with shortages and rationing and all those things it took a community-wide effort to to be successful and we did that and we won the war but I tell people we all have to behave as though we are infected. If we assume that we're infected, then we will do the things that need to be done to try to prevent the spread. But if we wait until we feel like we're sick, that's too late. And I've read your columns, uh, doctor, and I and I and I applaud you because you know, you're taking care of patients and you take care of their families one by one, but you've also taken it upon yourself to try and educate the population at large through your columns. Do you feel like they make a difference? And also, candidly, do they get you into trouble sometimes? Because like it or not, (laughs) this is, you can't even believe how political this issue has become. That's one of the most troubling parts of the whole thing is how political it's become. And I think it's, that is probably one of the, the most serious barriers to really getting effective control is that people are getting mixed messages. I mean, we have a situation, we don't beat around the bush, we have a governor who really has questioned the effectiveness of masks. And that is not helpful. And uh, if we had a consistent message across the board from the profession and from the political leadership, uh, I think we would be much more effective. But when we're getting conflicting messages, uh, people don't know what to think. So let me ask you a couple practical questions. The capacity at your hospital, I've been talking to a lot of hospital administrators. I was talking to somebody down in El Paso, Texas uh, last week, and they'd already started to transfer some of their patients out of the uh, immediate vicinity into their regional hospitals because they're anticipating such a surge in demand for hospital beds and also intensive care unit beds. What do you do if you start to see significant spikes in people who need to be hospitalized? Well, so far we've been able to manage that. We have a very small critical access hospital and our range of services is is fairly limited. And so we don't have any intensive care services or any of those sorts of things. So we have encountered not a lot, one or two cases where people were getting sicker and we felt they would benefit from uh, being at a larger facility. And at least in one of those cases, we had trouble making that transfer just because the, the receiving facility didn't have a bed. It turned out with that particular person, 
they weren't unstable right at that point, and so they they stayed here for two more days and actually improved. But then, as this virus does, the, this fellow got better. But then a few days, four or five days later, he got a lot sicker, and then he was transferred, and and he and in fact he's still there. I mean, it was one of these really prolonged uh, episodes of illness that a few people seem to have. What do you want people to know and to be thinking about with regard to your community in South Dakota over the next couple of months? Well, we know, first of all, that that this virus is going to be with us for a while. Our tools to fight this virus are very primitive, but they're effective if we use them. And, and that's the biggest challenge. We've got to get people to use them. And we have had only limited success. Yeah, and, and it's worth you know worth reminding people that no matter where you live, the, the virus doesn't care. I mean, it doesn't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, if you live in New York City or in Gerald County. That's right. <laughs> it's amazing. We went from having that, that really frightening number of one of the highest rates, uh, certainly in the state and I guess in the nation, and then two weeks later, our rate was the lowest in the state. It, it fluctuates wildly. But we've got to remember that even we get to that low rate, it's going to come back because that's just the way it does. And so we can't ever feel safe until we get uh, something like a vaccine that's widely distributed or something. I know you're one of three doctors in that county. And and again, somebody that the, the, the community really relies on. Um, I, I, I know it must be challenging. And like we said, everything becomes politicized nowadays. There is no mask mandate in South Dakota. There has never been any kind of um, sort of lockdown or shutdown, whatever you want to call it, in South Dakota. And the governor has been, you know, fairly adamant about that and, and proud of that, the fact, sort of saying that it embodies the values of South Dakota. Have you understood why your governor has, has sort of taken the actions or lack of actions that she has? I think it's it's her philosophy that uh, she puts a great deal of emphasis on individual uh, rights and uh, individual, well, individual responsibilities as well. And she believes that if we just leave this up to people, they'll do the right thing. We would all like to believe that. I think the evidence is that that's not what's been happening. And I, I have said in the very next breath, uh, you know, many parts of that I respect. Uh, I, I like the individualism and people do care about each other. I mean, it does get in the way, all this uh, individualism get in the way of sometimes doing the things that we need to do. I've said that, you know, as a society, we, we've made rules. You know, you can't drive down the road at 100 miles an hour. Now, People say, well, if I kill myself, that's my problem. But the problem is you're going to kill somebody else, too, and that's, and that's society's problem. I think Dr. Dean's advice for his community is good advice for all of us. That's why I wanted you to hear it. Our actions right now don't just impact us as individuals. They impact whole communities as well. If we all behaved as if each of us had the virus, we'd slow down. We'd make more cautious choices we'd be more thoughtful. We'd think about the kinds of public settings we find ourselves in. We'd wear our masks, we'd wash our hands, and keep our physical distance. I know I keep saying these things. I've been saying them all year long. But I need to keep saying them. 
because as I look at the numbers continuing to rise around the country and I hear stories from people like Dr. Dean, it's clear to me that it's more important than ever that we all do our part. If you have questions, please record them as a voice memo and email them to asksanjay at cnn.com. We might even include them on the next podcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening.